Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Unemployment still under 4%. The good news, wages are going up. Meanwhile, steelworkers fighting right to work in New Hampshire. And today on the show, the latest from the Valley Labor Report and the general president of the Professional Aviation Safety Specialist. Welcome to the Monday, January 8th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Adam Keller is going to be our first guest in the show today. Adam serves as co-host and co-producer of the Valley Labor Report. He is also the political coordinator for his union, which would be IATSE Local 900, based in Huntsville, Alabama. And I'll tell you, IATSE has been on a roll. We're going to talk about uh, new organizing wins in the video special effects field, video game industries. There was a recent win with the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia, where over 30 crew members won voluntary recognition of the union. And here's the best part. They got a first contract. We're going to talk about getting that first contract. You know that's very difficult, but... It helps to have a powerful union like, in this case, IATSE, behind you. Alabama Arise. We'll talk about what's going on there. As I mentioned, Adam serves as an organizer, and this is a statewide nonprofit coalition fighting for people marginalized by poverty. We know there's a lot of people in that category. We'll also take a look at the legislature. They're going to meet on February 6th. Some contentious issues like tax cuts, voting rights, school choice, mega prisons coming up. And speaking of prisons, there's a heck of a story that I came across recently about what's going on in Alabama prisons. The retail workers, the AFL-CIO and the Union of Southern Service Workers, which has the backing of SEIU, along with civic and civil rights organizations, went to federal court. This happened about a month ago to stop the exploitation of prisoners. A lot of companies, over 4,000 companies, are taking advantage, and this is just in the state of Alabama, they're taking advantage of forced prison labor. Now, you think about what's been going on in this country for decades where companies have relocated in places where there is cheap labor. used to be Mexico, then they went to China, then they went to Vietnam. Why bother when you can use prison labor, and that's what's going on? And now there's a lawsuit, and uh, Adam is going to talk about that as well. David Spiro will be joining us later in the show. David serves as national president of the Professional Aviation Safety Specialists. Their website is passnational.org, and they're in the middle of uh, some bargaining, two collective bargaining agreements at the FAA, and that's been going on for quite some time. There's also... A great deal of attention, media attention on air traffic controllers and runway incursions. Why is this going on? Well, the problem is lack of staffing. Controllers are not, we're talking air traffic controllers, are not the only FAA workforce that is underfunded, understaffed, and overworked. The members of PASS, 
They are in the same predicament. Now, these are the people working behind the scenes. We're also going to talk about mental health. The National Transportation Safety Board recently held a summit on navigating mental health in aviation. And one member of PASS, a pilot, was on a panel. And uh, President Spiro was on the uh, afternoon roundtable, and he's going to talk about that. It's really interesting, too, because if pilots speak out, and David's going to talk about this, if they speak out about any possibility of a mental health issue, they're gone. They're gone. So it's very, very touchy. And David is going to talk about that. Again, pastnational.org. You can see some posts on that. And now, look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. The U.S. ended 2023 with an unemployment rate of 3.7%. Economists cheered the report as the jobless rate was in a narrow range between 35 and 3.7% for the entire year. Now, the number of jobless actually increased by 6,000 in December to end the year at just over 6.2 million. Private sector claimed to create 164,000 new jobs. Governments adding 52,000 jobs in December. Leisure and hospitality reported adding 40,000 jobs. Some 55% of December's increase, by the way, came in the lowest paying jobs in that sector, and that was in bars and restaurants. Wage growth. Now, here's a bright spot. Wage growth in 2023 was 4.1%, which outpaced inflation. One big gain occurred at hospitals, which added 15,000 jobs. And uh, airlines and mass transit each added 3,700 jobs in December. Factories, well, they added 6,000 jobs, and that prompted a statement from Scott Paul, one of our partners here, on America's workforce on behalf of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott said, if you build it, they will come, but it takes time and a whole lot of good policy. The weak factory jobs in December show that while there is a genuine factory construction boom underway, we shouldn't take factory job creation for granted. As a whole, 2023 was a disappointing year for manufacturing employment with only 12,000 new jobs added. Now, some of this labor market weakness is attributable to consumers rebalancing goods and services spending, and some of it is attributable to the Federal Reserve's interest rates hikes and an overly strong dollar. But we are leaving manufacturing jobs on the table because import penetration is still way too high. Scott Paul, on behalf of of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. You can find more at AmericanManufacturing.org. The steelworkers are gearing up to fight against right-to-work in the state of New Hampshire, and this comes just days before the first in-the-nation Republican primary there. The union activated its rapid response team there to descend upon the state capitol Concord for a January 10th public hearing. That would be this Wednesday on the measure. Now, mind you, Right-to-work has failed in prior right-wing tries in New Hampshire, and that legislature is narrowly Republican. The USW said anti-worker lawmakers and their corporate cronies in New Hampshire are wasting no time in picking their first fight by bringing up right-to-work, 
which is often referred to as right to work for less. So-called right-to-work laws are nothing more than an attempt by outside corporate special interest groups to abolish unions altogether. They couldn't care less about the freedom of New Hampshire's workers. The union went on to say such laws are deliberately designed to make it harder for unions to help workers negotiate for better pay as well as working conditions. So we'll definitely keep our eye on that one. All right, quick break. When we come back, Adam Keller on behalf of the Valley Labor Report. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be a WF Union podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to the state of Alabama right now and welcome to the show. First time in the new year. Had him on many times last year. That would be Adam Keller, who is the co-host and co-producer of the Valley Labor Report. TVLR.FM is their website. And uh, as we all know, last year was a great year for unions. A lot of strikes, wages going up, a lot of organizing. And Adam was in the middle of it all in the state of Alabama. Adam Keller, welcome back to the show. Happy New Year to you, brother. Talk to me about uh, 
about getting some big wins for your union, which would be IATSE Local 900. Go ahead. Hey, brother. It's so great to be on America's Workforce again, and uh, happy 2024. Yeah, I'm real proud to be a member of IATSE, and uh, our Local 900 uh, had a pretty good year in Huntsville doing the behind-the-scenes entertainment work at the the new Orion Amphitheater. It just opened in 2022 in, in Huntsville. It's had some really big acts come through, like Snoop Dogg, Willie Nelson, uh, you know, rock shows, con- uh, country, hip-hop. Uh, that's been great to, to get new work for our members locally and, and a credit to, uh, you know, our business agent and our leadership for securing those contracts. Uh, as political coordinator, I really have a goal this year in 2024 of getting 100% of our rank-and-file members registered to vote and try to get as many of those as possible to the polls to vote and to make legislative contacts. Uh, and, and I know I'll be talking a little bit about Alabama politics here in a minute. Uh, I want to get our members engaged in that. And, you know, there's there's a lot of good momentum happening in IATSE. It seems like uh, I was checking the labor board filings over the last few weeks for the Valley Labor Report, and I noticed uh, more filings from IATSE, uh, including here in the South. There's 10 remote animation workers at Disney, uh, including folks in t- Tennessee, Texas, Virginia. They just filed for an election with the Animation Guild, uh, which is IATSE Local 839. Um, there were nine workers in Greenville, South Carolina, just filed for an election with IATSE. And uh, there was a- an election uh, where in Chesterfield, Virginia, the Conversion Geeks, 11 workers there voted unanimously in favor of the Animation Guild, which is a, you know, part of IOTC Local 839. So lots of new filings and elections happening with IOTC. Uh, they just put out a, re- a release a couple weeks ago about a big win in Atlanta. The workers at Atlanta's Alliance Theater, they won voluntary recognition of their contract, and a, they won their first union contract. Uh, so, and that's really exciting. We all know in the labor movement, it's one thing to win a union election, but it's another thing to get a first contract. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, so many campaigns, you know, run into that resistance and, and never actually even secure a first contract, or it takes many years to do so. Uh, so shout out to the, you know, over 30 crew members at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta for, for getting that. Um, that includes wardrobe workers, fly rail operators, audio engineers, spotlight operators, uh, hair and makeup workers. So, you know, real diverse crew uh, across some of the professions that make up IOTC. And they're already winning wage increases. They're already winning overtime protections and meal break protections and holidays. And so that's, that's great to see. And, you know, we need to see more of it. Um, IOTC's had some big wins in the VFX department, the video special effects, uh, you know, winning at Marvel and Disney. So hopefully we'll see the momentum continue in 2024, continue to grow in those uh, pockets of the entertainment industry that are are not currently organized uh, and continue to see the growth in industries like the video game worker industry. Um, So, yeah, proud to be a member of IOTC. Looking forward to working locally to try to build our political power uh, and hoping to continue to report back to my members on all these big wins across the country. To your point, Adam, these are very significant wins. And when you add them all up, we're talking a lot of members, a lot of members here. But I have to stop you a little bit. You said something. I think you, it was in Virginia about 
conversion geeks? I need to know a little bit more about conversion geeks. Can you explain that one? You know, I honestly don't know a whole lot more about what they do. Um, I just, you know, judge from the National Labor Board filing uh, and saw, yeah, there's 11 workers there. They voted unanimously in favor of unionization with the Animation Guild. So I'm going to assume they do some sort of animation work, animation adjacent work. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I'll tell you, that's one fascinating thing that we run across when we do our last week in Southern Labor Report and we go through all the Labor Board filings every week in the, across the South. We run across really interesting businesses, really interesting types of workers, uh, you know, things that I had never heard of, companies you have never heard of companies with strange names. You run across people with jobs that you've never heard of. Uh, and, and the really cool thing is you see these people on the move and who, who are organizing and trying to build power on the job, uh, regardless of what kind of job that is. Adam, if you don't mind, I want to talk a little bit more about getting that first contract. You mentioned the uh, Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. And I keep thinking back to the Starbucks workers in Staten Island, New York, and it was independent Amazon labor union. They still don't have a first contract. And what bothers me about this, these are independent unions and they don't have the push from the big national unions. Like in this case, it was IATSE. Um, can you reflect on what they brought to the table to get that first contract? It's important that you have all the resources, all the technological advances to get in there and say, hey, we're going to hammer down a first contract. Can you, uh, can you spell that out for us? Yeah, I think in this case you, you had an advantage in that, you know, these are professions that are already organized by IATSE, right? The spotlight operators, the fly rail operators audio engineers, people doing those jobs in similar environments in the city of Atlanta uh, are already organized by multiple IATSE locals, actually, 798, 859, and 927, right? There's so many different types of folks doing the work that there's, there's multiple locals in the Atlanta area, right, which means they have multiple contracts already. They have uh, relationships with multiple venues already. And so I think that makes it a little maybe less scary uh, for the venue itself, uh, for the employer uh, to see, okay, well, this is working everywhere else, uh, you know, seems to be successful, and, you know, we can implement that here as well. And I think, um, you know, that was an advantage we even saw here in Huntsville where uh, we had a record of success at the longstanding venue in town, the Von Braun Center. So when they opened the new Orion Amphitheater, you know, it was sort of natural that, of course, our local professionals who already have a record of success here uh, and a record of good faith negotiations, yeah, let's do business with them. Let's make that happen. And so, you know, I think there was some advantages there in that situation. What you're speaking to, though, is, is a, there is this broader concern and it's been growing over recent years. This is a trend that has gotten worse over recent years. So we've seen, you know, union membership overall decline, but getting the first contract, that has declined as well. Uh, and, and you're exactly right that a lot of the new organizing is coming from independent efforts, and there's pros and cons either way on that, I believe. Um, but you, you mentioned one of the cons, which is, Obviously, there's less resources and less institutional backup 
to put pressure on the employer to get that first contract. Um, and But unfortunately, even with some legacy unions, we're seeing some of the same struggles, uh, which speaks to we have a broken labor law regime in this country, which, which really, you know, incentivizes employers to do the wrong thing uh, because they don't face the penalties for doing the wrong thing, uh, right? It can be a simple cost of business that they write off, no, no big deal, uh, just a little, you know, chump change for mm-hmm. their budget. And so I think there, there are some bigger issues there, and, and I do think that one thing that we can do as members which is really important, like what can you do as a member, which is the organizing part is so huge to getting your first contract. You can't just win your election uh, and think, okay, well, we did it, you know, and I think there's like a natural human response to feel that way, like it's a big relief, it's a big win, um, and your your natural reaction is to kind of take a breath and, and take a step back, but really that's when the hard work begins. And that's when the internal organizing is going to be so important to keep your momentum up and to keep the pressure on the employer to do the right thing and and negotiate a contract in a reasonable manner. Adam Keller joining us in our live line today. He's co-host and co-producer of the Valley Labor Report, also political coordinator for IATSE Local 900. And he's an organizer for Alabama Arise. We'll talk about Alabama Rise and also a legislative preview for Alabama later in the show. We're going to check in with David Spiro on behalf of the Professional Aviation Safety Specialist. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a Local 50 representative will call to begin the process. Hey, this is Sean McGarvey and I'm president of North America's Building Trades Unions and I'm a proud listener of America's Workforce. I love this podcast. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong, and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. 
This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org is a website. Let's go back to uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and rejoin Mr. Adam Keller on behalf of the Valley Labor Report. He serves as co-host and co-producer. Do check out their website, tvlr.fm, tvlr.fm. Been around, well, four years now, and they're going strong. The uh, the mouth of the South, <laughs> that's what I call them. Adam, I want to talk about Alabama Arise. This is a great organization. It's a statewide, it's a nonprofit, and uh, it's targeting so many people, and there are so many in this category that are suffering from poverty. Um, your role in that, and what do you see for uh, Alabama Arise uh, this year? Yeah, I am really excited. I've been working as a community organizer for the past few months with Alabama Rise. I was a, a proud member of the organization for years. The whole time I've been an activist in Alabama, I've been a, a member of Alabama Rise, which is something that's really cool about the organization. Um, it's, you know, in some ways similar to our unions in that you join as a member, you pay dues. Uh, you pay a little bit of dues every year as a dues-paying member. You then vote on the legislative priorities for the year, right? So the uh, agenda that Alabama Rise has each year uh, when we go to the legislators and to the state government is selected by our members. And our members are over a 1,000 folks from the state, across the state, just individuals, uh, as well as about 150 groups. Uh, most of those groups are churches and faith-based congregations, um, but some grassroots groups as well, and some labor unions, some labor councils are also a part of Arise. And so there's a, a real opportunity to, to build coalition there around poverty and the impact of poverty on Alabamians, uh, particularly a statewide public policy lens. You know, what are the leaders in our capital in Montgomery doing or not doing that's impacting poor folks and working class folks across the state. Uh, so it's it's a real pleasure to, to be able to work in this coalition and, and to be able to work together with folks. I've got some exciting events coming up. I'm, I'm doing an advocacy training later this month in Huntsville where we're, you know, open to members of the public, to your RISE members, to labor allies, anyone who's interested in learning how to be uh, a more effective advocate uh, especially when it comes to your state government, understanding how the legislature works, um, how they operate, you know, what a bill looks like and, and how it goes through the system, what points of leverage we have as citizens to actually pressure those legislators and, and when should we pressure them, how should we do that. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. We're going to have other opportunities for members to get engaged with legislative previews, uh, and issue previews to learn more about what we're advocating for as well as what's, you know, what do we expect, what's going to happen. The legislative session starts on February 6th, so we have a lot of work to do to prepare our folks 
Uh, and I'm really just excited about growing the coalition with labor. We, IOTC 900, my union, joined our Cover Alabama coalition to expand Medicaid, uh, which was really a big win, and, and getting um, the North Alabama Labor Council to join Alabama Rise was, was huge as well this past fall. Uh, because the more we're working together, the stronger we are, right? We're, we're all out here trying to advocate for working people here in the state. Uh, so the more we can collaborate, the more we can join our forces, the stronger we'll be. Um, you know, I'm reading a book right now called The Southern Key by Michael Goldfield, all about organizing in the South during the 30s and the 40s, uh, the potentials and the missed opportunities there with, with labor organizing interracial organizing in particular, and he talks about associative power. And the unions that had a lot of success had associative power. They had power not just in the workplace, but in the community through their alliances with churches, civil rights groups, uh, other community groups, you know, you name it. Any, anywhere that people power is manifesting, the more labor can engage with that and be in coalition, the stronger we'll be. Uh, and we need that. We need mm -hmm. massive working class people power to push back, uh, you know, especially in a state like Alabama, where we have been dominated for so much of our history by these wealthy, powerful interests who don't give a damn about us and who are content with the poverty and, and the lack of uh, first world conditions here in the state. So, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's uh Always scary when you know the legislature's going into session, but yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to work with folks who are justice-minded and, and who do believe that a better Alabama is possible. Adam, if you don't mind, I want to pick up on what you say about the, the wealthy few that are pretty much in control. And I came across a story here that involves uh, several unions, the, uh, the retail workers, which is tied in with the food and commercial workers, the AFL-CIO, and the Union of Southern Service Workers, and they have filed a lawsuit in federal court to stop the exploitation of prison labor. And apparently, and I know a lot of prisons have been privatized over the years, and apparently some businesses are using, not just some, but a number of them, are using prison labor. <laughs> can, you, uh, can you explain? what is? I, I would imagine this has been going on for quite some time in the state of Alabama. Is that right? Yes, sir. It has been going on for some time, is my understanding. It's a it's a mega lawsuit uh, that dropped last month in December, and I was really proud. First, I want to say I was proud that labor unions and civil rights groups and others were all working together on this litigation. You know, that speaks to, to what I was saying. The, the more we can be in coalition, the stronger we can be, and I, I was really proud to see those diverse interests coming together to see labor stepping up and, and coming together with folks to fight for the rights of these incarcerated brothers and sisters of ours, whether we like it or not. Uh, these are our neighbors and uh, far too many of them in the state of Alabama are incarcerated. Alabama has one of the highest incarceration rates in the country, which means we have one of the highest incarceration rates on planet earth. Um, and it's no surprise that it's a disproportionately black population that are in these prisons. And as you spoke to, the lawsuit is over what is being alleged to be modern-day convict leasing. And, you know, we thought that convict leasing ended in Alabama, I don't know, in the 1920s when the United Mine Workers of America 
were very instrumental in putting an end to that practice, or so we thought. Um, but what we've discovered in this lawsuit is that um, the Alabama Department of Corrections and various agencies and entities within them and aside, you know, adjacent to them are working with private companies and even in some cases local governments to lease out incarcerated workers and to coerce them. I mean, right, uh, because we have, and something the lawsuit underscored is that Alabama's prisons are unconstitutional every single day because of the sheer amount of violence and extreme policy violations that take place throughout our system, right? So right now, as I'm speaking, they are violating the Constitution. So if you are incarcerated, that's your alternative, right? You can, you, you can uh, be a convict leased uh, employee who is not receiving all your wages, right? As you mentioned, the fines and fees, um, the Alabama Department of Corrections and these others are taking huge cuts from the wages the wages themselves are not the same as what, you know, free civilians are being paid in, in the first place. Um, so there's just mega exploitation happening there. Uh, and the incarcerated workers reported threats and coercion if they refuse to go to work. And that's aside from the fact that if they do refuse to go to work, right, where are they staying? Where are they staying in these prisons that are extremely violent and dangerous and unconstitutional? So it's, it's a devil's choice. Um, you know, so it's it's a really extreme form of exploitation, and it's something that our labor movement has always been vocal about because it, beyond the, the sheer cruelty of it to the people involved, it, of course, also affects all working people because, um, you know, that is a way to, again, skew the playing field. If you can bring in incarcerated workers into a facility – Right, those are people that are more easily exploited, that can be paid less, that are going to be a lot less uh, likely to organize a union and face much more severe consequences if they even try to organize. And that's important to note that these were private businesses, in some cases fast food restaurants like KFC and Wendy's, right, which have seen worker organizing across the South and across the country. Uh, but there was also local governments like the city of Montgomery, and then there, were, uh, there was a beverage distributor. There was uh, Hyundai Supply Chain. That is worth noting, right? So Hyundai, which has already been busted for using child labor in their supply chain, has also been using these convict leased labor uh, in their supply chain. So it's, it's a pretty far-reaching problem. Um, I wanted to highlight a quote here from Janet Harold. She's the legal director of Justice Catalyst Law. And she said, quote, the forced labor scheme that currently exists in the Alabama prison system is the modern reincarnation of the notorious convict leasing system that replaced slavery after the Civil War. And that's huge to me. Yeah. Uh, to know that that is happening uh, in the year 2024, it's unacceptable. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say about it is that there has been very little that I can tell in terms of response from Alabama's leaders, right? Governor Kay Ivey, Attorney General Steve Marshall, they are named in this lawsuit. Um, there are legislators who, you know, cover every bit of this state, and I have seen almost nothing. I've, I haven't seen anything coming out from any of these politicians to speak on this uh, and, and to share what they think about it. 
right? So that's going to be interesting, and, um, and and that's something I'll be looking for this legislative session is, you know, what kind of response are we going to get from our government? Uh, is this something that they can condemn, or is this something they continue to condone? My guess they won't say anything until they show up in court, and uh, that lawsuit was filed last month. That's huge. And there's 4,100 companies, Tufts University, looked into this 4,100 companies in Alabama taking advantage of prison labor. Amazing. Adam, great job as usual. Adam Keller, co-host, co-producer of the Valley Labor Report. Do check him out, tvlr.fm. You can also check him out on Facebook, the Valley Labor Report. You know, let's uh, let's uh, rejoin in about uh, four to six weeks, and we can talk about the uh, legislative session you said it starts on february 6 okay my brother that sounds great sending my love and solidarity from alabama y'all all right we're going to take a quick break david spiro is the national president of professional aviation safety specialists and he's coming up next this is america's workforce more shows available at awfradio.com it takes layuna to keep america running Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as healthcare and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. This is Brent Booker, General President of the Labor's International Union of North America. And we're a proud sponsor of America's Workforce, where workers feel the power every single day. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalletSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be a WF Union podcast. Let's go to Washington right now. 
Welcome back to the show. David Spiro, we've been in communication with him over the last year. He is now two years president of the Professional Aviation Safety Specialist Union, PassNational.org. Altogether, David has spent uh, 30 years with the union, and he's here to talk about, well, they're having a little difficult time with the FAA negotiating some collective bargaining agreements. David, welcome back to the show. Why don't we start right there? How are we doing with these uh, with these negotiations right now? Hi, Flash. Thanks for having me back. Uh, so we are moving forward. We've got two contracts that we're working on. One uh, for our aviation safety bargaining unit. They uh, they comprise the aviation safety inspectors and our aviation safety technicians. Uh, they oversee uh, the regulations for FAA. Uh, when it comes to air carrier, general aviation, manufacturing, everything that has to do with the aviation industry, pilots, checking them out, making sure everything's airworthy, and also uh, the avionics on the aircraft, all that sort of stuff. We are about two years into that negotiation now. It is getting pretty close. There's a handful of items that we're still kind of stuck on, but I think uh, I'm hopeful that we can actually have something uh, done in a, in a relatively short period of time. I think it's critical that that happen. Uh, so that one's moving forward. I, I got I to thank uh, back, back in the summer uh, the former uh, acting administrator and, and current Deputy Secretary of Transportation, Polly Trottenberg, for helping step on the gas and getting a lot of it done. Um, and I spoke with FAA Administrator Mike Whitaker last week uh, and spoke with him about uh, how important it is to get these negotiations finished uh, and, and to, and to uh, um, close out some of, the, some of the work that everybody's done. So I think we're going to get there on that one. Um, that said, uh, the other contract that we're working on is for the air traffic organization, and that's uh, a, a lot of folks who, who support the uh, air traffic organization on the on the technical operations side and a few other bargaining units. Uh, effectively, though, uh, that's about that's uh, about six thousand seven thousand employees that we represent in in that group. That's going slower, and uh, there a lot of what we're going to do is built upon what we'll complete in the aviation safety contract, uh, as long as it's not. Uh, something specific to that line of business. But it's going much slower. And there are some big items to, to, to work on, uh, pay, training, staffing. Those are, those are a big deal right now, in, especially in, in that bargaining unit. And, you know, you look at what's going on in the aviation world right now, some of the unions out there are getting, in, in the private sector, are getting uh, pretty big pay raises. Uh, they're getting uh, pretty good contracts. And... You know, we recognize that our members are public servants. We're not, uh, we're not looking for $200,000 bonuses and, and, and um, uh, 30%, 40% pay increases. Of course, all that would be nice, but, but we recognize that we're public servants, and, and, uh, but we're looking to be fairly compensated uh, and, and to, get, to get some of this done. And, and uh, the FAA's team on that side is not uh, with the program yet, I would say, that, that bargaining team. And it's going to, our, our, our legal team is, and, and, and bargaining team is frustrated 
uh, with, with that particular line of business right now. And I spoke with the administrator about that. Um, and I'm hopeful that, that uh, we can get this thing done by the summer. Uh, and I think it's critical that we do. Yeah, yeah. Did I hear you say correctly? It was. It's been going on for two years. And if that's the case, is is that kind of the norm, or a little bit longer than usual? Well, it, so it it is, and it's. I mean, let's say in both cases, that's true. Uh, it, in the in the federal sector, it's not unusual for negotiations to take a little bit longer. And we have evergreen clauses in our contracts that keep keep everything in full force and effect until we get another one. So we're not without a contract. Um, that, and we also have, in the federal sector, impasse procedures that we can follow uh, with, that bring in third parties to decide things if, if, we, if we can't come to an agreement on stuff. So then uh, that's you know, crucial in, in the federal sector because, as you know, we, we, we don't strike. Uh, so we need, we need to have somebody to be able to step in and, and uh, uh, make a decision from an arbitrator's perspective, if, and we make our cases. Uh, so it is, it is not unusual for federal uh, sector negotiations to go longer. That said, two years is a long time, uh, especially when you're at the table uh, consistently. And, and, and we have been. Uh, part, part, of the, part of what feeds into that is we have gone after uh, our entire contract, uh, often you open up a handful of articles and say, you know, we're good with the rest. We're going to roll it over. Um, we've decided. We decided in this case, uh, and and you know that lands on my desk that I wanted these contracts to be completely refurbished. Uh, I wanted to make sure we were up to date and that we had some legacy contracts going forward. So we did open, you know, uh, 80, 90 articles and added some new ones. So there's a lot of work that's been done. And it does take longer, but at the same time, uh, a lot of work has has been done on on the aviation safety contract that'll feed into the into the air traffic contract or traffic organization contract for our technical operations folks and folks in mission support. Uh, so we're we're ready to roll with this thing, and um, they're not they're not moving the same pace we are. We're speaking with David Spiro, and David serves as national president of the Professional Aviation Safety Specialists. Check them out online at passnational.org. David, I want to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, I understand there's been a lot of attention focused on air traffic controllers and what we call runway incursions. Can you explain what's going on here, and and how is your union affected on this? Sure. Um, so... As you all know, there's been a lot of talk about airplanes getting a little too close to each other, right? Um, yeah. And, and uh, on the runway, in the air, and uh, uh, clearly air traffic controllers and, and pilots are, are uh, the, the direct boots on the ground when it comes to when that stuff's happening in real time. But our folks, our, our technical operations uh, uh, members, they certify, repair all of that air traffic control equipment. So those flashing lights you see when you're landing, those at the airport lighting system, the instrument landing systems, the radars, the communications, all of that sort of stuff, uh, we, we maintain it. Uh, we also maintain the systems that tell airplane, tell the, uh, the, the, the pilots when, they're, uh, when there's somebody on a runway. Uh, you'll get a big X on a runway in, about, in, about, in several airports around the country uh, based on the, on the technology that we we service and provide. Um, 
also that provides uh, air traffic controllers with advisory information if uh, somebody's out there. So we, we maintain that equipment. Uh, we're responsible for it. We also drive out there on, on, on the airport operating areas where the airplanes are. Our folks have to go out there and maintain equipment. So we're we're out there with the airplanes, and and you got to have you got to have your wherewithal, and and I think uh, your orientation and bearings to be able to know where you are. Uh, it's not it's not the easiest thing in the world if you're not used to it to understand where all those lights are, and what runway you're on, and what taxiway you're on, especially if you're at an extremely busy large airport like Atlanta or DFW. Uh, those are those are complex areas, so training is important. Um, and, and, you know, if something were to go awry, our aviation safety inspectors actually investigate those incidents uh, and hopefully not an accident uh, when, when those airplanes come too close to, together or if, uh, if a vehicle on the ground comes too close to an airplane. So we're, we're, we're involved in, in all of that. Um, when, it comes to, um, uh, when it comes to staffing, which is uh, what you're hearing a lot about with, with the controllers, uh, you know, they're, they're legitimate, they have legitimate issues. Um, well, what, what disappoints me is that we are not hearing about the legitimate issues that are affecting our technical operations folks in the media. And, and it's, you know, it's not as exciting to talk about uh, the, the, the specific technical work that people do. And it's a little complex to understand. I, people don't really understand all the equipment, the, the 50,000 plus facilities across the country that these folks work on and take care of. And our staffing is down by, by, by a thousand technicians across the country over the last eight years, and it's not getting any better. And that's taking its toll on, on the skill and, and uh, the ability of folks to, to, to maintain the national airspace system, which is also introducing risk into the national airspace system. So I think it's important that that conversation uh, be more robust when it comes to technical operations uh, specialists. So we're understaffed. Those working on the job because they're understaffed are stressed, and obviously that leads to mental problems. And I know you recently took part in uh, a summit on what was called Navigating Mental Health in Aviation. This was put on by the National Transportation Safety Board. Uh, can you uh, can you reference that for our listeners? I'm sure that was an interesting discussion, David. Sure, it was. So uh, uh, kudos to Senator Hamdi, the chair of the National Transportation Safety Board, for inviting us to participate. Uh, one of our one of our members, uh, an aviation safety inspector, uh, uh, testified uh, uh, in front of that group, uh, gave his story about about how. Uh, there's a concern uh, from his, his uh, from the agency with regard to his medical clearances because uh, because he's taking a, a particular type of medication and, and the, the problem is that uh, people can't speak up they, they're, they're unable if, if you're a pilot or someone that holds a medical clearance and air traffic controllers sat on that on that uh, um, uh, summit as well uh, if you're one of these folks who holds a medical clearance, speaking up effectively can end your career. Mm -hmm. uh, that you're, you're, you're seeking mental, uh, mental health uh, assistance. If you're in therapy, uh, if, you, if you've got any kind of medication you're taking, that sort of stuff is not 
uh, right now the agency looks at that and, and frowns upon it. Uh, and so and you have to turn in hundreds of pages of documentation to support uh, support your medical uh, clearance. Uh, and it takes months and months and sometimes years to get that sort of thing done. Uh, so, uh, you know, at this point right now, it's the responsibility of, of a pilot or anyone with a medical clearance to, to stand up and say, hey, I'm, I'm not ready to do this right now, and they do it. Uh, these are aviation professionals who do speak up and say, listen, I, I, can't, I can't fly an airplane uh, or I can't, I can't do the job I'm supposed to do with my medical clearance. Um, so that, that's already in place. Uh, but but they've got to they've got to look at this thing and and decide what what works for aviation safety. And if a doctor says that the medication a particular per, a person is taking a particular medication is helping them, makes them uh, they're not a threat to themselves or to others, and they can fly an airplane and they're not drowsy and all the other things that go with it, then the FAA can and should accept that and to their credit they stood up an aviation rulemaking committee that uh, we are going to participate in uh, to look at this and decide uh, and it's a it's a group of um, many folks in the aviation industry uh, and we're going to look at whether or not what the rule is what makes sense and we got to get this thing up in, into this century because a lot of what we're talking about is based on medical uh, assessments Back in, the, back in the 50s and 60s, and, and that, that just doesn't work. Because you, you, can't have, you can't have people afraid to speak up because that in and of itself introduces risk into the national airspace system. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what they try to do when it comes to mental health awareness, is, is asking people to speak up. And if you see something, say something. But it goes contrary, obviously, when it comes to pilots. David Spiro joining us on our live line today, serving as national president of professional aviation safety specialists. Always enjoy talking to you, David, passnational.org. You take care and let's, uh, let's regroup in a couple of months. Okay, brother. Sounds good to me. Thanks, Flash. And that'll be it for another edition of America's workforce coming up tomorrow. The communication workers of America and the bricklayers and allied craft workers until then. All of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.